Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 11 a.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Do you guys believe that? Man, that's why we're here. That's why we gathered, because that is not just a hope. That is a reality. It is the reality in which we base our whole lives on. Man, I'm really excited to be with you this morning and to continue our series in the book of Daniel. So if you have a copy of God's Word, would you open it up to the book of Daniel chapter 1? And if, uh, if you need a Bible at any time, we have Bibles out on the tables outside the doors as you're walking in. Those are our gift to you. If you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to grab one of those and keep that. Uh, but we are going to be continuing our study in Daniel chapter 1. And I wanted to start this morning with a question for you. And that is this. What is the most consistent thing in your life? Uh, that's a good answer. You know, I think when we think of consistency, it's something we all want. Uh, we want something to be the same every time. We want something to be steady. We want something to be there when we need it. When we turn it on, we want it to work. Uh, but let me ask you a question. This past week, how consistent has your cell phone signal been? How consistent has your Wi-Fi been? How consistent has your order been at your favorite restaurant? How consistently obedient have your children been? How consistently honoring has your boss been? My guess is that in one of those areas this week, you might not have found consistency in something that matters to you. And it's frustrating. We want consistency. We want to be able to set it and forget it. We want to be able to go to something and know, man, it's going to be the same every time. Can I offer for you this morning that I think I know where to find what you're looking for? Because we're going to be looking at uh, uh, Daniel, this, this really familiar story in Daniel chapter 1. And as I've been preparing for this morning's message, I was reflecting on the fact that we've, we've titled this series, Daniel, A Man for Our Times. And one of the things that I want us to kind of focus on this morning, one of the things I want us to capture and just maybe ponder for just a moment is this, is that God is consistent. He's faithful. And when we talk about what we need today, we want to be able to to put our hope in something that's not going to let us down. We want to be able to trust in something that's always going to be true, something that's not going to mislead us or, or let us down. God is that. And sometimes when we're kind of looking at our lives today in 2021, we might have a hard time remembering that. And so we want to go back to this book in Daniel and consider his life. But we got to remember, this, was, this is a story that's not just a kind of a made-up fairy tale. It's not a heroic tale. This is actual histor- history, historical narrative. This, this man, Daniel, actually walked on this planet. He actually breathed air like you and I breathe. He lived a life. He understood who God was, and he was put in a situation where he had to choose whether he would stay true to his convictions or he would compromise. Why is Daniel a man for our times? Well, because like Daniel, we live in a culture that wants to conform us into its image. You live in a culture that is trying to conform you into its image. Our Christian convictions are being challenged every day. This isn't new. It's been happening for centuries. But why does it feel like the pressure to compromise is growing to an all-time high? Uh, We shouldn't be surprised that this is the case. In fact, Jesus predicted this. In John 15, he tells his followers, if the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. Because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Consider this, one pastor put it like this, the notion of a persecuted church, which we've always understood theoretically and prayed for at a distance, now is beckoning ever closer. 
I think that is true for us as Americans. I think it's true for us. We read the scriptures and we see that God's people have been persecuted since the very beginning of the book. They will continue to be persecuted until the very end of the book, until he comes and he rights all wrongs. He deals with sin and death once and for all. And there is no more persecution because we are with our king forever. But sometimes I think for us, it hasn't really sat in, hasn't sunk into our, main, our brains. This pastor went on to say this, the fact of the matter is that persecution of the church has always been true. It's just been clouded. It's been obscured. And I started to think, why has it been obscured for us? And I think it's because we, we've enjoyed religious freedom. The foundations of our country have had this designation uh, by other parts of the world as being a Christian nation. And we've had this ability to worship freely. And for many, many decades in our country's young history, there would be many people throughout America that would say, yeah, I'm a Christian, or yeah, I believe in God. And so what's happening is the popularity of that statement and the idea, the size of the church or those who would actually identify as followers of Christ continues to dwindle. And what has happened is a shift continues to take place that's been taking place throughout all of eternity, but we're actually now starting to experience it in our country in a way that feels very uncomfortable because it, this is not the first time, the first generation where religious, you know, Christian values have been challenged, but in every aspect, it feels like now it's no longer a matter of the secular world saying, we want you to allow this to happen. We want to be able to live in a different way than what the Christian values are. We want to live in our own way. No, now it has shifted into this, you must agree with us and you must accept us and participate with us. Are you sensing that? I can't, I was thinking this week, what's an area in our culture right now where it's okay to just be a Christian and have a different opinion? I can't find it. You know, there used to be a time where maybe, hey, yeah, uh, our, Christian, our, our culture's not Christian, our, our government's not Christian, our, our schools aren't Christian, but, but at least they'll be kind of neutral. They'll, they'll explain Christianity equally to whatever, all the other beliefs and ideas out there. It doesn't feel like that. And this is starting to raise up inside of us a fear or a frustration or an anger. But this shift has been around for decades. Even first, uh, one of the first apostles that Jesus called, Peter said in his um, New Testament letter, 1 Peter 4, he said that this is what the world's going to look at us followers of Christ and say, is that they are surprised that you don't, don't join them in the same flood of wild living and they slander you. So why is it that we're upset or frustrated or surprised? I want to talk about that this morning. I believe the pressure to conform is testing our convictions as a church. The pressure to conform to cultural ideas is, is kind of calling us to task. It's, it's calling, calling us to defend ourselves. And that's why I believe Daniel is a man for our times, because Daniel lived in a culture and in a kingdom that wasn't passively going to let Daniel continue to believe what he wanted to believe. No, from the very minute that he was taken as a slave and sent to Babylon as an exile, that culture was adamantly at work trying to change everything that he believed and understood to be true. They changed his location. They changed his name. They changed what he had been taught. Everything to try to get him to believe in something that was different. And he, as a young man, as most likely a teenager, had to make a decision. And you and I can learn from that. And that's what we hope to do. Last week, we read the opening verses of Daniel chapter one, and we learned that there was the Lord who allowed Jerusalem to be kind of taken over by Babylon, to fall captive to it, to be defeated by Babylon. The prophet Jeremiah, we looked at last week, uh, foretold this, that he said it's because the prophets and priests in Israel failed to actually proclaim God's word, but they started to proclaim their ideas and their wants and what they thought was going to happen. It was false testimony. It was false witness. And not only did the, the pastors and the priests kind of pollute God's word, the people listened to them 
And the people began to walk away from the Lord. And the impact of that was seen throughout the land. And so because of their disobedience, God said he was going to allow Israel to be taken captive. Now, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, had ordered that a group of young men be collected from the royal families and nobilities and sent to Babylon and put in the king's palace to be trained up to be servants of the king. And among those selected were a man named Daniel and his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And so this morning, what I'd like to do is for us to pick up the story in chapter one, verse eight. And I'd like to highlight three observations from this story that can help us live as outsiders in our culture. So if you found your place in Daniel chapter one, would you please stand with me if you're able in honor of God's word. And we're gonna read our text this morning. Daniel chapter one, verses eight through 21. If you're ready, say ready. ready. This is the word of the Lord. Daniel determined that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine he drank. So he asked permission from the chief eunuch not to defile himself. God had granted Daniel kindness and compassion from the chief eunuch. Yet he said to Daniel, I fear my Lord, the king who has signed your food and drink. What if he sees your faces looking thinner than the other young men your age? You would endanger my life with the king? So Daniel said to the guard whom the chief eunuch had assigned to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then examine our appearance and the appearance of the young men who are eating the king's food and deal with your servants based on what you see. He agreed with them about this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, they looked better and healthier than all the young men who were eating the king's food. So the guard continued to remove their food and the wine, and they were to drink and had given them vegetables. God gave these four young men knowledge and understanding in every kind of literature and wisdom. Daniel also understood visions and dreams of every kind. At the end of the time that the king had said to present them, the chief eunuch presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king interviewed them, and among all of them, no one was found equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they began to attend the king. In every matter of wisdom and understanding that the king consulted them about, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and mediums in his entire kingdom. Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. You may be seated. Father God, as we consider just for a moment why Daniel included this story why your Holy Spirit directed him to write about this. God, I pray that you would give us understanding, that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes and that we would see what you want us to see as we find ourselves living in times that feel very similar to what Daniel experienced. God, I pray that you'd use your word to encourage us, to challenge us, and to move us in obedience to you. I pray this in your son's name. Amen. There's probably several different uh, characters that I could to list off right now, and immediately in your mind, you would think of their uh, heroic nature. I heard this week that there is the 25th James Bond movie that was just released. 25th. And he's still alive. <laughs> but think about these, these heroes, Bond, Bourne, switches to sports, Rocky, we, we think of these people and we think about how they summon within themselves the strength to overcome. And there's something in our flesh, I think, that actually likes that because we also, I think, if we're honest, there are times when we want to be able to find within ourselves the solutions we need to our problems. And yet, for those of us who've ever spent any moment trying to rely on our own strength, we have found ourselves to be quite weak. But even in the Bible, in the book of Hebrews, there's this whole chapter that's kind of known and commentators have called the hall of faith, where it kind of outlines all these great men and women of the scriptures who had demonstrated great faith and God had used them and and helped persevere them and helped them endure to the end. But the reason I wanted to share this is because when we think of the book of Daniel, and we're going to now spend some time in this over the next several months as a church, we're going to read through uh, the first six chapters are all about his life. And then the last six chapters are all these prophetic vision that Daniel was given uh, by the Lord. I think one of the things that we can maybe mistakenly do is think of Daniel as this hero, as the point of the story. 
But even though his name is the title of this book, and even though uh, most scholars give him credit for writing these words down, and even though these are real true things that, that God did, and we do find a model and example from Daniel's life, Daniel is not the hero of the book. If we go to Daniel with the hopes that we're going to try to find out how you and I can fight and stand up and have conviction and overcome and, and defeat the, the government and defeat the enemy, we're sadly mistaken because everything we're going to see Daniel do was not from his own strength, from his own power. It was from God. And I believe that Daniel wants to highlight that for us in this book. The book of Daniel is not just about Daniel. One author put it like this. The book of Daniel isn't about Daniel. The book of Daniel is about Daniel's God. If what you've taught, been taught or what you've learned from this soaring book is that you should dare to be a Daniel, then I'm afraid you entirely missed the point. This book is more than a hero tale that inspires us to live a courageous life for God amid hard circumstances. If we preach the book like this, then the sovereign destiny determining God of Daniel is ironically swept to the side. So here's Daniel. He's this, he's this young man. Again, most scholars believe that he was a teenager and he has been taken from his home and taken to a pagan foreign culture. And he actually finds himself in probably the best case scenario if you're going to be a slave because he wasn't put just in the, the workforce out to be a slave, to, to do manual labor and just kind of be abused and, and minimized. No, he was actually put in this program that the king had created to develop some of these men to be servants of his. So out of all the places you could be, if you're going to be exiled as a slave, this is, this is the best case scenario. But Daniel, right away, as he gets there, right here in verse 8, we see that he is faced with a dilemma. He can choose to go along with it, thinking that, okay, I'm in this new place, and, and you know, maybe, maybe everything that I believed about God, I mean, after all, I am in exile. So if God is truly, you know, this sovereign, loving, good God, you know, why did he let this happen to me? Maybe this isn't. Maybe, maybe the circumstances would challenge his faith and get him to begin to compromise what he had been taught to be true and what he had believed up until this point. Maybe he's like, who's going to see me? Who's going to know? What would they do if they were in my position? Do they know the pressure that I'm under? Remember, the Babylonians were not known as being kind and gentle. For him to even try to maybe stand for his ground, he had no rights. He had no place to go. To actually even offer the suggestion that, would it be possible that I not follow your plan, what you guys want to do for me? He was taking his life into his own hands. So that's the dilemma. He could either take a stand and stand with the Lord and potentially face the loss of all things, including his life, or he could choose to maybe compromise his values and go, well, this is where I'm at. And so I'm just going to take advantage of the situation because I got to take care of myself because I've been left in this circumstance. But that is why I think, and this is the first point that I want to highlight this morning, is that we see Daniel as he's writing out this account and he's going back into his memory what took place as he was led uh, to Babylon, he highlights the reality of God's sovereignty. In verse 2, it says this, the Lord handed King Jehoiakim of Judah over to him, speaking of King Nebuchadnezzar. Two other times in our passage, Daniel's going to highlight that it was actually the Lord at work the whole time. Is that your perspective in the midst of persecution? When you find yourself in, in, a, in a dilemma? When you find yourself up against uh, this situation where, man, it, it doesn't seem like you have any good options? Is your first thought, man, the Lord put me right here and he's right there? That was what Daniel says he thought. See, the reality is, is that even in exile, God displayed his dominion over kings and kingdoms. So why is that important for you and I to consider this morning? It's because a sovereign God is worthy of our devotion. We, we as your pastors are not calling you to a faith that says, yeah, believe in this inconsistent, 
really flimsy God. No, we're just pointing you to the scriptures that says that God is sovereign, which means he has dominion. He has authority over all authority. That there's no authority here on earth that he has not allowed. He is still able to move. He's not limited or thwarted by human authority, no matter how evil it is. He is sovereign. And so I believe that Daniel had this decision, and it says here that he determined that he would not defile himself. He chose to continue to follow God even when he, he was in this pagan culture and, and, and there was pressure mounting to compromise and he was a complete outsider and he knew to stand with God meant he was going to stand apart from everything else. And yet the reason he had the courage to do that wasn't because in his mind he's like, well, I've already come this far. I've already been you know, a follower of God for this long. I should just keep going. It's all I really know. And it wasn't that, well, you know, I've just rationed in my mind as I've considered the Babylonian way of life that this is just a better way of life and I want to eat more healthy and more clean. It wasn't that. It was about God still being sovereign, even in the middle of the mess. I think Daniel knew that the reason he was in captivity was because the sins of his people that God was just and right to allow them to face that consequence because of their disobedience, because of their uh, allowing themselves to be deceived by false prophets and to follow their own desires of their own heart rather than obey God. So Daniel here, he's, he's highlighting that God, God is sovereign even in the mess. In verse 2, he highlights that God is the one that allows them to be handed over and so he's telling us that God's rule is untouched by evil kings and kingdoms. Please hear that. God's rule is untouched by evil kings and kingdoms. Do you believe that? Your convictions will reveal if you believe that. What you stand for will reveal if you believe that. That God is still on the throne. That God is still God, even when we find ourselves under evil kings and in evil kingdoms. See, they don't take from God. He allows it. And what we're going to see throughout the book of Daniel is it's all part of a plan. In verse 9, he, he talks about how God granted Daniel kindness and compassion from the chief eunuch. That's a, a verse that we could kind of maybe just breeze over real quickly, but the reality is, is that this was a significant work of the Lord. Daniel was taking his life in his hand, even to suggest the possibility of trying a different way to, to not eating the king's food and drinking the king's wine. And what Daniel's teaching us is that God's reach is unlimited, that he can even influence secular leaders. There's no indication that this chief eunuch of the Babylonian kingdom had a relationship with the one true and living God. And yet God is able, because he is sovereign, to orchestrate and to move. And it says that God granted Daniel kindness and compassion in that man's eyes. God made that happen. Think about how much time we, we stay, we kind of get frustrated and work up about conversations we're going to have and potential conflict we're going to engage and things we're going to have. And we're like, there's nothing I can do to change this person's mind. There's nothing I can do to get them to see things right. I can't even get them to give me the time of day or to be uh, understanding of my views or my values. And we work so hard and sometimes we come in and we fight and sometimes we avoid and sometimes we try to do it our own way and try to take a passive approach. That's all us relying on ourselves. Daniel's saying, I, I had a conviction based on what the Lord says. I'm going to follow it. And God is the one that granted me the kindness and compassion with that eunuch. In verse 11, or excuse me, in verse 17, it says that God gave these four young men knowledge and understanding in every kind of literature and wisdom. And Daniel also understood visions and dreams of every kind. I think what Daniel is wanting to highlight, and again, this is three times in this first chapter, he's highlighting the sovereignty of God. Why? It's because when we find ourselves living in a culture that's trying to conform us to its image, and we are feeling the pressure rise on us to conform and to compromise our convictions, Daniel's trying to remind us God is in control. Daniel's trying to show us that God's resources are unmatched. 
And man's wisdom is limited. But God's is not. So I believe Daniel is highlighting that when we stand with God, we don't stand alone. Man, when we stand with God, we don't stand alone. You might be alone, but you're not alone. The reason I think this is so important to, to highlight this sovereignty of God is because I think it leads us to our second point is that the sovereignty of God is the source of determined devotion. This is the, the text, this is the verse, this is the word that's just kept jumping out to me as I've been studying and thinking about this morning. It's verse eight, Daniel determined that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine he drank. You see, the, Daniel's convictions were driven by his worship of God. I will not, I cannot, because I love God. I want us to hear this this morning. So many beliefs, so many core truths of our faith are being attacked, are being challenged. People are trying to claim that they're not true, that they don't stand the test of time, that they're outdated, that we can't live by them, that they're oppressive, that they marginalize people, that they are oppressive on people. Our faith is under attack. I understand all of that. And yes, Daniel did take a stand, but his stand was not for his personal convictions. He took a stand based on the scripture. The scripture. The scripture was the what told him he could not eat meat or drink the wine that had been offered to idols. This wasn't a stand about him not being able to eat meat or not be able to drink wine. But in that culture, to eat meat that had been sacrificed to idols or to drink wine that had been sacrificed to idols was to be acknowledging the deity of those false gods. There were also rules we see in Leviticus 11 that the Israelites were given for how their meat had to be prepared in order for them to remain clean before God. And there was no way to guarantee that those, that meat that would have been provided from the king's table was clean. And so he made this determination, not because that's what he wanted to do or that's what he felt entitled to. He made this determination. He resolved in his heart. He made his mind up that he was not going to defile himself because why? Because he worships God and to do that would be to worship something else. That was his conviction. I will not worship anything else besides God. And so he made his mind up. So if, if we're called to have this, this boldness for Christ, if we're called to be ones that are willing to stand out for the Lord, to be light in darkness, to, to be those who don't compromise, to stand with the Lord, I believe we need to learn from Daniel's example here that our convictions should be driven first and only by our worship for God, not our own personal desires. So whatever we're standing up for, wherever we're drawing the line, wherever we're saying, I will not do this, I will only do this, wherever we stand, will reveal what we ultimately worship. So what are we worshiping? What are we saying is the most important thing in our life? Will it be the Lord? Do our convictions and our words and the things that we are proclaiming and telling everyone that we will do or what we won't do, does it reflect our worship of God or our worship of something else? Daniel said, I I'm not going to compromise. And think about this. I mean, of all the people that maybe could, he's in exile. I mean, he's in a situation where he's like, okay, I'm here and I'm in a foreign land. I have this opportunity. Does it really matter? Is, is God really going to care if I just have a little bit of meat? Or maybe even in his mind, he started to think, well, hey, if, if God wants to use me here, maybe I got to play the game in order to get higher up so I can have more influence and change the table. That's not the life that God honors. In fact, we're going to see in a couple of chapters where Daniel's friends are in another compromising dilemma and they say, 
Whether or not our God will save us, we don't know, but we know this, we're not going to bow down. See, when we think about God, we think about what Daniel's highlighting here, I think we need to remember that he is pointing to a hope of faithful deliverance. And that's my last point this morning. I don't think the point of the story is to to act this way and then it's prescriptive, you know, like do this and this will be the outcome. Because again, I don't think the story is about what Daniel did and how Daniel was able to save the day. I think it was that Daniel was obedient to God and look how God was sovereign the whole time. Daniel's calling us to obey the Lord. He's not calling us to win the day. We see here, Daniel highlights this hope of faithful deliverance. And sometimes I think we think of deliverance as getting out of the jam or getting, you know, relieving the pressure or getting out of those positions where we're uncomfortable, where we feel like we're going to compromise. But I don't think that's what biblical deliverance is. Sometimes the Lord chooses to deliver us from the burden, from the situation. He, he takes us out of stressful things and puts us in green pastures besides still waters. But sometimes he marches us through the valley of death. Deliverance is not the removal of the pressure. Deliverance is God is going to see us through. And what what the faithful people in scripture have left and what God has included in scripture for us to learn from is this. If I stand with the Lord, deliverance is a, a surety, whether that means in this life or to the next. And I go back to that original kind of thought that I shared with us this morning about I think for us, and I'll speak for myself this morning. So you guys, I'll just put myself on display here. Like, I think it's hard for me in my, my growing up here as an American, having these freedoms, having this way, you know, to think about that. To think about that, it might come a day where I'm going to live in a country where I don't have rights and I don't have freedom. Or in order to stand with God, I'm going to have to stand out in a way where I'm going to have to risk it all. And instead of saying, well, that seems pretty consistent with scripture and the God of the scripture is pretty consistent, so I should follow him. I spend a lot of time going, how can I stop that from happening? I'm a Christian first and last. I want that to be my primary identity. That's for me. Consider it how you would like. But Daniel highlights this hope for a faithful deliverance. See, God's provision exceeds our expectation and understanding. Daniel took a stand here, and there was something to lose. He could have lost this this position to be in this program that was going to train him up, potentially to serve in the king's palace. He potentially could have lost his life. And one of the things that the eunuch highlights, too, is that he actually could be putting other people in harm's way by even asking for this. But look what God did. It says in verse 9, God granted kindness and compassion from the chief eunuch. We know the story. He, he allows Daniel to, uh, to, to go for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, it says that he and his friends were better and healthier than all the other young men. And they allowed them to continue to eat that way. Verse 17, it says, God gave those four young men knowledge and understanding in every kind of literature and wisdom. See, the thing was, Daniel and his four friends were put in that Babylonian culture. And what we read from the text is, is that they um, learned how to live in that culture. They went through that training. They learned the customs of the Babylonians. In fact, that's what the prophet Jeremiah told them to do. When you go there, engage that culture, but do not defile yourself. Think about how important that is. Engage the culture where God has placed you, but don't defile yourself. How many times are we like, I'm not going to engage that. I'm going to pull myself out. I'm going to holy huddle. I, I think we need to be different. And I do think God has placed the church for us to come together and to walk side by side, carrying one another's burdens. But I believe he has left us. And I'm just going to speak plainly for everyone in the room this morning. We are living in Oregon, unless you're an outsider. You live in Oregon. And if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ in the, in the eternal nature of his desirous will, he determined for you to live here right now. And he wants to use you to engage the culture, but he does not want you to defile yourself. He does not want you to compromise. 
but I don't believe that God wants us as the church to pull away. It says that their obedience led them to be 10 times better. That's just a rhetorical expression to say that there was no, you, you, there was no comparison. Those who were faithful to God, man, that God just empowered them. He gave them this wisdom and knowledge. But I love what it says here at the second part of verse 17. It says, Daniel also understood visions and dreams of every kind. Why that's significant was, is that Daniel was being trained with his friends to be sorcerers, to be fortune tellers, to be able to interpret dreams. But all the training of the Chaldeans could not interpret the dreams. We're going to see that. It was the Lord because his power is sovereign. Man's is not. But here's what I want us to hear. Sometimes we fear that we are going to lose it all by trusting in God. But what is really at stake is the loss of the opportunity to experience God's provision when we rely on ourselves. We're fearful. I mean, if I stand for Lord, if I, if, if I stand with him, if I take a stand, man, I might lose something. I can't lose what I have. But what we're really actually saying is I am more willing to lose what the Lord could provide trying to do it on my own than to say, I'm willing to lose it all to experience what you have for me. So I think what we need to see here is that God never abandons those who remain faithful to him. Because here's the truth. Great faith starts small. Rodney Stortz in his commentary on the book of Daniel says this, for Daniel, not eating the meat was a small thing, but it prepared him for much bigger challenges later in his life. I think the thing that I want us to kind of take away this morning is that great faith starts small. We see, we read about these men like Daniel. I want to be like Daniel. I want to take that big stand. I think Daniel was consistent because he, he had faith in the little things. He remained true to the Lord. He was obedient to God. Great faith starts small. But as we close here, I just, I want to speak to the parents in the room for just a second. Because what I don't want us to lose is the reality that Daniel was a young man here. Again, most, most historians, most theologians say that Daniel was between 15 and 18 years old when he came to Babylon. And yet we see this resolve in a teenager. I have two teenage boys. And I started thinking, what if they were sent off to a land? Would they stand why, why was Daniel able to have this determination? I think it's because some things that were influencing his life. Uh, what's interesting is that, you know, Israel had this history of kind of succumbing to sin and having these like, these times of revival and these times of great sin. But if you do the math of when Daniel was born and when he was growing up, when, when was that era in the, li the line of Israel's history? Daniel grew up in the age of King Josiah. King Josiah opened up the temple that had been sealed by his grandfather and the priests went in and they found the word of the Lord that they had not been using, they had not been teaching and there was great revival and restoration in the land of Israel. And that was where Daniel grew up. Daniel grew up in a time where he was being taught God's word. And the, and the scripture doesn't give us much information about Daniel's parents, but the fact that they named him Daniel which means God is my judge, I think she gives us a little bit of insight to that his parents also were acknowledging who God was in training Daniel to follow him. And so when Daniel left their care and Daniel was put in this situation, he had been taught what to do, but he determined for himself, but he had already been shown that God is sovereign. Parents, we have to do the same. Our culture continues to, to come in and try to get us to compromise, continue to choke out what we believe. We have to teach our kids what is true about God, that he is sovereign, that his word is to be trusted above all things, and that when we stand with God, we never stand alone. Chuck Swindoll put it this way, in a world where people who rebel against the divine king, it's inevitable that believers of all ages will face situations and their convictions will be challenged. We who are parents need to prepare our children for those occasions by both teaching them God's truth and modeling integrity. 
And all of us who are Christians need to personally commit ourselves to living God's way, regardless of the temptations to live otherwise. So this morning, I want us just to see, because I think these themes that Daniel highlights in chapter one, we're going to see consistently in the next several chapters. God is sovereign. Even when the, the, the powers and the, and the rulers and the authorities and the government seems to be the one in control, seems the one that has all the power, seems to be the one that's going to get to do whatever they want to do, and no one's holding them accountable, God is still in control. And God will equip his people who remain faithful and say, I will not defile myself. I want to serve and worship only one true God. That's a call for us today. We need to live in that way. There are many similarities between Daniel and Jesus. They were both sent into a foreign land to be faithful witnesses of the one true God. They both displayed wisdom at a young age. They both found favor with God and man. They were both tempted, yet they did not defile themselves. And while Daniel's faithful witness led to a prominent role within the king's palace, Jesus' witness led him to the cross. But this wasn't a defeat. No, God was still sovereign on that hillside outside of Jerusalem. And Calvary is where the victory was secured. And Jesus took the punishment we deserve so that we could be set free from our sin to slavery and now invites us to live free in him. This is our source of courage and conviction today. Why can we stand with God in a world that is trying to conform us to its image because the son has set us free. We're in Christ. And so Jesus calls his followers to look back to the cross in remembrance and to look forward to his return where we will once and for all be led out of exile from this broken world and into his eternal kingdom. This morning, we're going to reflect on what Christ did for us. We're gonna take the Lord's Supper here in just a minute. And uh, as you came in, hopefully you were given one of these little cups that has some juice and a little wafer in there. Here in just a minute, Brendan's going to come up and the worship team's going to lead us in a song. And, and I just wanted to say, if you're new to the church, this might seem weird. You might not, why are they doing this? This is, this is something the Bible calls us to do in remembrance. And so if you didn't get one of these and, and you want to partake, uh, just raise your hand and our, our guys will come around and make sure you get the elements. But Jesus called uh, all of those who would have faith in him, his followers, to uh, symbolically participate in this practice called the Lord's Table or Lord's Supper. And the juice that we're going to drink here in, in just a moment is a, is a reminder of the blood that was shed on the cross. The bread is a reminder of the fact that, that God came in, took on flesh, and lived a physical life so that he could die in our place. And we are called to come together and remind ourselves that God has come and he has set us free. And so we're going to do that. But this is something that the Lord only encourages believers to do. And so if you're not, uh, if you're not, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, if you're not a Christian, um, there's no pressure to take. In fact, I would encourage you just to, to sit and observe and watch. But if you are saved, you're invited to take this this morning. But scriptures call us to consider our hearts as we come in and take this, that we don't just kind of do this as just a habit and then move on with our day, that we actually take time to consider what we're doing and why we do it as followers of Jesus Christ. And so Brendan's going to come up here and we're going to, we're going to sing and prepare our hearts to take communion. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your sovereignty. And God, we live in a day and age where it feels like the pressure is mounting. God, I pray that you'd help us stay faithful to you. God, I pray that everyone in this room would consider their own convictions this morning and, and ask themselves the question, God, have I, have I been more concerned about my personal desires or have I been more focused on doing that which will worship you and you alone? God, thank you for the son that you sent. We're thankful for his sacrifice on our behalf. And now, God, we ask that you prepare our hearts to take communion as we remember that sacrifice. God, we love you. We pray this in your son's name.
1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul gives us instructions and reminds us of what took place when the Lord instituted this. Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and 
when he had given thanks, broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Prepare the cup. Paul goes on to write in the same way. Also, he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of writes this encouragement for us. He says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We're going to sing one more song here to play our, uh, bring our service to an end. But I, I want to just say one thing. We have the ability to live today in relationship with the living God. We're not his sovereignty and the fact that he is in control and that he is going to rule all things is not just something outside, but it's something that we live in. It's the reality of who we are. And the gift of salvation and this personal intimate relationship has been made available to all men who believe in the gospel. And so I just want to encourage you this morning, if you're tired of trying to defend your own convictions, if you're tired of trying to mind through this tough culture and you want to do it with the Lord, there's no better day to start than right now. And so after this song, after the end of the service, we'll be dismissed. If you want prayer for how to start a relationship with the Lord, if you just want to pray, you just want to talk about how your heart's doing or what you want to have the Lord do in your heart so that you can live for him and no longer live for yourself. So you can have courage rather than fear in this culture. We'd love to pray with you. We're so thankful that you guys are here. Stay faithful to the Lord.